Hey there, and welcome to our five-part Wednesday night series called Censored, where we as a church are going to take a look at controversial topics that are going to get us, well, censored. In our first episode, we're going to be hearing from Pastor Chris as we discuss two topics, abortion and feminism. These episodes are going to be going longer than our Sunday morning podcast, so we ask that you stick around for part two, where we have a Q&A with the congregation that might answer some of the questions you have at home. Now, with all that said and done, let's get into this week's episode with Pastor Chris. Hello. All right. Any questions on feminism, abortion, or any anything that I kind of touched on tonight? You want to take the first question? Maybe. Robert. Um, if you would like to ask your question, can you come ask in the mic? We're actually recording this. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. All right. Thank you. So uh, you mentioned that uh, Moab, um, when you put the baby there, said there will be a consequence of death for that person that does that. Who executes that death? Uh, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In in ancient Israel, it was to be the people. Okay. So yeah. if you were to give abortion, should we do death penalty to those that kill babies? We actually had the discussion. Go for it. Um, the answer is yes. Um, and so the reason is that uh, this is murder, and we try murder. So the Bible gives reason for the death penalty, um, not just for... Uh, abortion, but for murder in general and for rape. Um, and the reason is because it is such a heinous act against God that you have forfeited your life for these acts. Um, now, I know a lot of people have issue with that because they think that the woman is also a victim of abortion, um, but um, that's actually not true because she is an active participant in it. Um, and so we wouldn't say if someone murdered someone, I said, well, I didn't know murder was wrong. You say, well, it doesn't matter. You, you still murdered someone. Um, so them not realizing that they're murdering someone is not an excuse not to uh, give the consequence for murder. And my follow-up question is, is grace given by God or by people? Grace is given by God and people. Um, but I want to bring up another example to prove my point here. Um, let's say that um, Hitler, before he died, came to Christ. Now, we would be able to consider him someone who would go to heaven because he's accepted Christ, and he would be part of the body then. So we can show grace on him by accepting him as a brother in Christ, but he would still pay for his war crimes. Um, just because he becomes a Christian doesn't mean he doesn't still get the punishment for his sins because God has put his law for specific reasons. Um, and this is why throughout history, when Christians have executed people, they send a pastor or a priest to preach the gospel to the person on death row, and that person a lot of times will... Even if they accept Christ, we don't go, okay, you accepted Christ, you're off death row now. You, you say, praise God that you will be saved from eternal damnation, but you still deserve the punishment for your sin here. Um, and so God gives us that law to execute it um, in that way. So uh, both us and God can show grace, but there is still punishment for our actions here on this earth. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions, concerns, uh, maybe even things you didn't agree with? It's okay. <clears throat> so the bull 
was his name again? Molech. Molech. Yes. He was a Canaanite god, a deity. Okay. All right. So, like, it was exposed that the U.S. government still does that. And being that the U.S. government works hand in hand with Planned Parenthood, is there any correlation with that? It's very interesting you say that. So in the 1950s, there was a society, an underground society called Skull and Bones. Now, Skull and Bones were the elitists. They were the rich of the rich. They were the Rockefellers. They were all the moguls. And what they did is they would get together and then they would devise on how they can divide up the world. Now, has anybody ever seen House of Cards? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Do you remember uh, there's, a, there's an episode where they go into a grove, they go into a forest, and they're all dressed in hoodies, and there's a big burning owl, and all these men are ch chanting. How, do you know of that uh, episode? Yeah? Okay. Well, that's, what is it? That's right. That is actually a depiction of a real life event called the Bohemian Groves. Now, the Bohemian Groves is where all the, the uh, male elitists, they go and they seek to carve up the world, if you will. And it's very fascinating because you have both Republican and Democrat from Ronald Reagan. I mean, he's as conservative as you get to actors and, and just your top people. And in these groves, what they have is a huge statue of Moloch. And they light it on fire, and they take these fake little baby dolls, and then they throw them to, to Moloch. Very interesting because that practice started in the 50s, but really kicked up in the late 60s and early 70s. The worship of Moloch between the most powerful men in our society and what shortly followed after in 1973, Roe versus Wade. So I definitely, absolutely think there's a correlation. Also, when you talk about Planned Parenthood, the, the uh, creator of Planned Parenthood is a woman named Martha Sanger. Margaret. Margaret Sanger. And she's an, a very evil woman. Her whole plan was to... Uh, not only, yeah, black babies brown babies, disabled babies, and she even had a plan to kill all fiends and unproductive, pe unproductive people. She was a very, very evil woman. Now, she spoke about this, and guess who her audience was in 1924? You'll never guess. Guess who her audience was? The KKK. Yeah. You want to talk about systematic racism, a white woman speaking to the KKK about suppressing the less than of society. That's systematic racism of the most heinous act. So who was on the board of Planned Parenthood in the 60s, 70s, and so forth? There was a man by the name of William Gates Sr. He's the father of, you guessed it, Bill Gates. Now, William Gates, he was all a part of eugenics, and that was to design a population in your own image, essentially, by removing the riffraff, okay? Since he came into power, black and brown babies have been disproportionately and grossly murdered. White male white female, 
for the purpose of curbing a society and specifically exterminating a group of people. And we call this freedom, women empowerment, and so on and so forth. Here's another really fascinating thing. I'll I'll turn it over to you. When the abortion stuff was happening in Texas and there was a big, big stink, right? Everybody was like, this can't be, this can't be. There were two organizations that really came to the forefront for the fight for pro-death rights. Planned Parenthood was number one. Anybody know the second group? Second group is a nonprofit called Lilith. Now, Lilith, it's a nonprofit. Yeah. Lilith is, um, she's part of Gnosticism. She's a, a female demonic deity or a, a, um, a mythological deity. And her story is she was first with Adam. She was the first woman with Adam, but she refused to submit to his authority. And so she left Adam and became an adulterous woman. And how do you worship this woman Lilith? Child sacrifice and the drinking of blood for the purpose of eternal youth. This organization that came behind abortion was named after a demonic female deity who refused to submit to the rule of man and ended up murdering and massacring her babies. You cannot make this up. This is happening in our society. So do I think it has a connection without a shadow of a doubt? That's Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> Brian? Oh, yeah, the only thing I'd like to add to that as well is um, when you look at the location of Planned Parenthoods, it tends to be in poor communities. So, um, you know, they say it's for women empowerment, and they'll say, well, it's got to be in those communities because those are the women that need the empowerment, right? Uh, but what you're doing is you're specifically targeting, the, again, like he said, the riffraff, the people that shouldn't reproduce, and you're giving them the ability to kill their children. So um, it, it is very strategic, and... It is not at all what it's presented as. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, how about, you know, when um, pregnant women go to their doctors and they have to take those tests to, um, uh, I don't know, genetic, yeah, mm-hmm. genetic testing. And it comes back with Down syndrome or Down something like syndrome, that. Down mm-hmm. syndrome, or maybe they can tell autism or something. Like, why is why is that even, like, a choice or option at that point? Like, do you want, or a conversation, right? Okay. Maybe, like, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? So if, if you're pregnant, Brian, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, doctors tell you your child has Down syndrome. Um, now, just, just real quick before he answers, Knowing the biblical worldview and the biblical ethic that comes from it, what is your answer? What would you think would be your answer? So are you asking for the... So are you asking if people should get those tests or not? Or if they should abort the baby if it comes back. Like 
Um, so an interesting thing about that is I've heard a lot of stories where um, they'll do these tests and doctors will plan an abortion for the woman before even telling her that the baby is has Down syndrome or anything like that. So the assumption is you don't want this child because it has Down syndrome. Um, and basically what that does is it, it does not acknowledge the image of God of everyone. Um, it doesn't matter what you have when you're born, you're made in the image of God, you are a human being. Um, I don't necessarily think that those tests in themselves are a bad thing. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're going to have a child with Down syndrome, it might be helpful so you can read up on it, so you can be prepared to take care of that child. Um, but it's what they do with the information that's wrong. They take that information and then they say, well, we obviously don't want this child. Um, and they try to convince the woman or even, like I said, they, they premeditate to try to drive her into a specific direction. Um, and there's even been stories where women say, the doctor comes to them and says, I've already scheduled the abortion for you, you just need to go. And they say no, and the doctor will push them to do it. Like, you really don't want to take care of this baby, it's going to be a lot of trouble. And so, um, you're right, you don't even have to go into Planned Parenthood anymore. There's a lot of doctors that will push for this, even if they're not the ones performing it. They, they have this idea that somehow if you have a mental disability that you're a lesser human being, but that's simply not true. And again, that's postmodernistic way of thinking. It absolutely comes down to, you know, who you are and what you are. And if you are disabled and then you're, well, you're a burden on society. And so let's just X you off and so that we can save our resource. So what about in the rare event that the woman is sick and she might take her life or might... So... What about a situation the doctor goes to a woman and tells her that if you have this birth and you go through with it, it could potentially cost you your life? So um, there are cases where uh, childbirth can end in death. And the uh, purpose of a doctor is to preserve as much life as possible. And so there, there are going to be scenarios where either the mother dies or the child dies. Um, but the idea that um, you just end the life now because it, it might end is it it's, doesn't logically follow. So if you if um, the woman is going to struggle through that childbirth, then you know you give her as much resource as possible. And if it comes down to it, um, you're always going to do every action to save as many lives as possible. Um, so it might end up being that um, the the child ends up dying because it's just that happens at times. Um, and it might be at times that the woman dies because that happens at times. But the whole idea is to preserve life. Sure. Well, as a Christian woman, then, let's put this in the text here. As a Christian woman faced with that dilemma of a choice, if she decides to abort because she has a husband, she's got other children, there's a lot of concerns here, a lot of outside factors that would weigh on her decision. Do you? How do you think the Lord would... Look at her if she went through with the abortion. Um, that would uh, still be a sin, uh, and it's because you're you're assuming the future. Um, that's like saying the world's going to end soon, so I might as well just kill my whole family now because they're not going to. I don't want them to go through the hard times. Um, you're you're assuming what's going to happen without knowing, so they can tell you it's going to be hard for you, but. That doesn't guarantee it. There's been many women who have told this child might kill you before their child's born, and they go through and have no problems with the, the pregnancy at all. And, and I, I would also say, <clears throat> is it consistent to take a life when times are tough? 
Is that a consistent way of thinking? My, I'm not paying my mortgage today, and maybe it's because, you know, somebody did it. Is it okay for me to take that life? If I'm struggling in other areas of my life, is it okay to take a life? You know, th these are questions in which I think when you really think through, it's not justifiable. It, it also comes down to that um, level of responsibility. The baby can't do anything to preserve life in that situation. The mother can. Um, and so her responsibility as a mother, even we have to consider sure she is a mother, even though the baby's still inside of her, her responsibility as a mother is the life of her child. And so every parent knows that you lay your life down for the child. And so, um, you know, it's, we don't want to take that situation lightly because we're obviously still concerned about the health of the mother. So we want to help her as much as possible, but we don't end the life early simply because we're concerned about her life. Her desire should be for her child. Yes, sir. So I had a question. So a very good um, message, uh, information. I loved it. Um, so with that message that you, what you said and what we know now, what we should know, or we should, we should have known this, but obviously people, we all need clarify and, and certain things like what on, on our like, if we know this already, like, how does that impact now the way we're going to start living life? So should we take more of an approach? And, you know, like, how can we stop all this? Because I'm trying to say, like, how can we do our part? Because, you know, it's, it takes an initiative to do stop, what we, stop this whole world, this whole chaos. So how can we take initiative to stop what we stop? And if we don't do it and we go on with our lives, so is our heart really not there? Uh, does it really, does it matter? Does it, does it matter? Um, there's a lot of different things you can do. First and foremost is um, the gospel. Um, we, we aren't going, you're going to run into a lot of people that don't care about any of the arguments. They just want to be able to murder the child for their own prosperity. So you're, you're not going to win arguments to convince people of the truth of, the, of what God has presented to us. So you first need to... Um, present the gospel. So if you're running into someone who is for abortion, your primarily your primary goal is not to make them pro-life. Your primary goal is to present the gospel to them and bring them to Christ. Um, uh, we can also do things. So there's a lot of organizations. Can you explain that a little bit more? Why are we not trying to change their world with their ethic before their worldview? Um, if we change their ethic before their worldview, essentially what we're doing is we're creating Pharisees. Um, so people become righteous within their own mind because you have convinced them of an ethic good that they came to with their own mind. Um, and the reason that the Pharisees were not with God is because they were self-righteous. They, they thought, I know what is right in my own head. I can do it on my own. And so when you bring someone to an ethical, um, biblical position without God, you're essentially telling them that you're good enough to come to the correct position without God. Um, so you're kind of circumventing the, what we've talked about at the beginning of this, that the biblical worldview starts with God. So you want to present the gospel to them because there's the Holy Spirit that is going to change them. And then, um, through the preaching of the gospel, they will then want to, they will then have a changed heart to desire life over death. Um, so the gospel is the most effective way to pull people out of that movement. Um, now there are people that call themselves Christians that are pro-choice. Um, and I think those people need correction. They just don't have a fully uh, developed Christian worldview. And so you need to uh, pull them to the scriptures and show them through the scriptures why their current position is incorrect. 
Um, and as again, this is because the Holy Spirit is way more powerful than you are at changing hearts and minds. And so we're going to rely on God to change hearts and minds rather than ourselves. Um, the second thing is that uh, Christians are not revolutionaries. So we aren't going to go in and try to just, um, you know, we don't want to murder the murderers. We want to uh, present them the gospel. We want to do it legally. We, we aren't going to go in there and just start fighting people physically. Um, so things we can do, there's a lot of um, organizations that go and they preach the gospel in front of abortion clinics. And so while people are going in there, they're presenting them the gospel. They, they let them know, we will adopt your children. Don't murder your baby. They present the gospel. Um, and there's a lot of success, success with these things. Um, there's a lot of people that um, hear the gospel, that come to Christ, and they don't murder their children. So they're actually saving babies. Um, and so you can uh, help by donating to these organizations. Um, one of them that I like a lot is End Abortion Now. And they are going throughout the United States, going to tons of Planned Parenthoods, and they do this daily. They preach the gospel to these people. Um, you can also get involved in that yourself, going to preach the gospel to them in front of the abortion mills and uh, trying to pull people out of that situation. Um, and then another thing that uh, they are doing is they are going to um, local governments and trying to make sanctuaries from abortion. So there's a lot of uh, cities and counties within Texas and other states that have basically outlawed abortion for their locality. Um, and so that's something we can even do here locally if we if we want to get involved in that. We can go to the abortion mills here. in California, bro. Oh, it's we, been given over, my man. It doesn't mean we don't try, but we can <laughs> go true. to city councils and we can um, present the gospel there. We can call them out for their sin. We can um, attempt to push legislation through to ban abortions. Um, so there's a lot of things we can do, but it all leads back to the gospel. It all leads to bringing people to Christ because that is the ultimate goal in all of this. So what about um, empowerment, like women empowerment? Like um, nowadays, and not just, you know, in regular lives that I see, but, you know, just random people, um, even that I meet in the streets, um, a lot of a lot of conversations that I hear is like, oh, you know, the husband doesn't have the right um, way of thinking or the right um, approach to things. And if you speak that to uh, you say your spouse, they're most likely to say that, you know, you're close minded or you're not um, allowing the woman to fully develop or grow on her own way of thinking, not not way of thinking, but like her own path, um, not leading the husband. Like not needing him. How do we go as a man? How to um, change that view? I mean, obviously the gospel, but um, even though you get a lot of friction, a lot of pushback. Um, so in this scenario, would it be a husband to a wife or just a man to a I was going to ask that. What in, is in the general, relationship? In, bo- in both. In both? Um, is the person Christian word? or non-Christian? So th- these these things matter. Um. Well, I, sometimes I hear that construction. Just, just for your question. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Sometimes, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Okay. Um, if they are, so let's say first we'll start with husband and wife. It's if if the husband is convinced of this and the wife is not, yeah. um, the husband ha- is the leader of the home spiritually, and has to approach the topic with grace. Um, so if you're you and your wife are both believers and you are trying to convince your wife of it, bring her to the scriptures, and then, you know, be patient and consistent with it. Don't be overbearing with it. Um, you know, don't let it come down to yelling or screaming or fighting or anything like that. Just be consistent with it. Um, and over time, if she is truly a believer, then she's going to 
come to see the truth, what is in scripture. Um, if it's you to someone who is just in public that you don't know, um, again, if they're a Christian, you can point them to the scriptures. If they're within the same church, you can go to the elders about it. Um, a lot of times if it's just someone in public, there's just not much you can do in a, in a passing conversation. Uh, but you know, if it's, if they're Christian, you just kind of, again, go to the scriptures, say, well, how can you believe that knowing what the scriptures say? And then you can have the verses memorized, some of the ones that Chris brought up, and you can point them out and say, this is what God says about, um, murdering children. You can point to the passages. Um, for example, in Psalm 139, that talks about God creating us in our mother's womb. Um, the passages in the Proverbs about children being a blessing, and you can show the Christian these things and say, so how can you see all this and then support abortion? Um, so you present the gospel, or you present the scriptures to the Christian, and then to the um, non-Christian, one, you can show them the inconsistencies. Like you are saying, if you push them on some questions, they'll, they're going to show their inconsistency in their answer. So you, first you can show them their inconsistency, and then you can present to them the Christian perspective. Um, Which means you need to know your stuff. Your gospel, yeah, you need to know your stuff. So you said the things you spoke about. Can you repeat some of the things I spoke about? Oh, I have it written down. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay. I, do. I, really, I took notes. Fair enough. But uh, the reason, because I, I hear it a lot in construction, like, hey, you know, we're thinking about this. I'm like, no. And I give them my point of view, but I really don't have, which is my fault, um, like a scripture, like a verse that I need to do my own homework so I could be ready for those situations. I think, so... The Greeks, they defined to know, to know something as information of the mind. And in Western society, we're the same way. How do we, how do we, a teacher, how does a teacher know if their student knows the information? They give them a what? A written test. That's the Greek form of knowledge. The Hebrews were totally different. The Hebrews were, you don't know, said, you don't know anything until you can do it. Meaning, okay, you're in an automotive class and your test is building an engine and they give you a written test and you can pass it. Well, the Hebrew would say you don't really know until you can actually do it with your hands and put it together. So when we're understanding this idea of what to do and knowledge and how to approach things, it really comes down to knowing your stuff, living your stuff. There was a, there was a statement you said in your question that I don't think Brian touched on. Um, and it dealt with, oh goodness, I just drew a blank. I cannot believe it. I know. <laughs> Maybe so. Darn. Sorry. It's gone, brother. That's all right. Well, the empowerment, because, you know, they, they just that one word empowerment. Oh, what do we do? So he, he said, you know, uh, the abortion clinics and and um, going up to your to your local, uh, you know, establishments or whatever the case may be. Another thing to do is really know, really know the topic intellectually and with your hands. That means getting dirty and talking with feminists. That means calling out abortionists. That means this word that Christians hate called confrontation. One of the greatest ways in which you can be a Christian is to confront your world with truth and love. That is how I would say you... uh, address not only abortion, not only feminism, but every way is objective truth in love. 
And the only way that you can really do it is by knowing the word of God, knowing the positions of the society, and then knowing how then they argument and how you argue. So I really think like as Christians, we need to be hands-on. This idea of, well, pastor does it all is ridiculous. And that is why the church has fallen into postmodernistic thinking. You sent me a video the other day, Rick Warren, who's a mega pastor, mega church pastor. He was telling the elitists at the Davos conference how to change an entire society. He was telling them, he said, well, you're taking the social route. You're taking the legal route. Take the church route because the foolish churchgoers, and he didn't say that word, but he meant it. We'll trust their pastor. So let's just you know, have the church with postmodernistic thoughts, just like Journey was in an egalitarian church. Let, you know what? And in so doing, you know, we will be propagators and proponents of postmodernism. You're seeing a church that is incredibly weak in the United States, largely because they refre- refuse to confront sin. They refuse to confront sin because they really do not know what they believe. And so I would say knowledge in the form of the Hebraic way and then use that knowledge in action, which will inevitably be confrontation. Cannot be any other. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions? I just want to say thank you again. This is an awesome forum, like the best forum I've ever been at (laughs) at a church where it actually creates dialogue and an honest uh, conversation. So being that, I, I don't want to be, play devil's advocate. But You're wh- very good at playing I am. devil's advocate. Sorry. We play devil's advocate many, we many do. a times. <laughs> so in, in this forum, again, because I think it's valuable, as Christians, you're constantly challenged every day in your life as a uh, hypocrite. And it opens up slippery slopes every day when you say, I'm going to stand on this, but you don't stand on this. So in this forum, we talk, again, it's sticking with me, that two wrongs don't make a right. It was very valid. And so I agree with that. Two wrongs don't make a right. So like a death penalty or anything like that, we, we acknowledge that that is a sin. You don't correct the sin with another sin of killing. Like in abortion, I wouldn't say, hey, you, you did that. I'm going to go kill you now because you did something that I don't agree with. How do we as Christians address that? Because I know we would say we are the protector of right and God empowers us to then go execute against that because I see a slippery slope there because it's a contradiction. Two wrongs don't make a right. Brian? Um, so we have a talk next week on God and government. So that will uh, be a more in-depth answer to the second part of your question on um, on executing that judgment. So the, the idea isn't, uh, so if, if someone murders someone and I go murder them, that is a sin. If someone murders someone and they are put to death by um, the government, that is not sin. Because the government had, it, the Bible tells us that the government carries the sword of God to execute justice. Um, so there's a difference between a, a um, judicial execution of someone who has committed wrong and me going to exact my own revenge on them. Um, so the death penalty is not murdering a murderer. The death penalty is the government executing God's law as he has stated us to execute it. So um, when you put someone to death, you're not doing it haphazardly. You're not doing it out of revenge. You're doing it out of justice. If the government is not elected by the people, can a government be unjust and then be killed? 
Um, governments can be unjust in what they do. Um, and again, we'll get more in depth into that one next week. Um, but that, yes, governments can absolutely be unjust in executing justice. They can, they can, and the Bible deals with that a lot with Israel. He call, he tells Israel that, uh, the, it is the, those who have the power that are oppressing the people because they are not executing justice correctly. So governments can step out of the line just as well as people can. Um, but there are certain roles and responsibilities given to the government by God, and one of those is the sword. So that is a, a correct function of the government to use the sword to um, execute those who deserve it. And that can be found in Romans 13. And interestingly enough, Romans 13 was most likely written around the time when the ruler of Rome was Caesar Nero who was a very, very wicked and vile man. And even then, it talks about the role of the government and then, as Christians, our response to the government. So next week. Um, and the, the other part of your question was the hypocrisy. When uh, someone calls you a hypocrite as a Christian, say, uh, yes, I agree. Um, the Bible tells us that we are sinful people. So sinful people are going to sin. Um, and you tell them, yes, I'm a hypocrite, but I am covered by the grace of God. Um, and I try every day not to be a hypocrite, but it is impossible for me not to be a hypocrite in some areas. And so you can even use that to present the gospel to them, showing that I don't think I'm perfect. I don't think I'm sinless. I don't think I even execute what my own worldview correctly. I go against my own worldview all the time, even though I don't want to. And so that is why I need the grace of God, because I am imperfect and I am a hypocrite a lot of the times. And so um, my goal is to be less of a hypocrite but yes, I'm a hypocrite. And in my experience, when you are in a debate or some kind of formal or informal argumentation, when the person then, the first person that resorts to slandering character, they've lost. Absolutely. So when somebody says, well, you're a hypocrite or you're this or you just pat yourself on the back. When they say you're closed minded or whatever, that's when you know they have submitted. Because this is what will happen. They, their uh, argument will be refuted, then they will attack you, and then they'll exit stage left. It always happens. You'll, they will submit in, in whatever argument it is. They will attack you because they're angry and they don't know how to, you know, and then they walk away. And as Christians, me as a man, that makes me very angry. But as a Christian, I just take pride in that victory, and I just swallow my tongue. And you can also point out that um, um, pointing out hypocrisy is a non sequitur. So does my hypocrisy about this moral judgment make that moral judgment incorrect? Well, no, it doesn't affect the moral judgment. It just means I'm, it's saying something about me, not the moral judgment. So them calling you a hypocrite doesn't change the truth of what you're telling them. But they might say take the plank out of your own eye before you start thinking. And that's a biblical truth. But again, it does not deny the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, we are broken vessels. And they're not looking to me for salvation. They're, well, they ought to be looking to Christ. Though. Yeah, and most of the time when people quote that verse, they mean it to say, you can't judge anyone because you have the plank in your eye. But that verse doesn't say, don't ever judge because there's a plank in your eye. It says, take the plank out first, then judge so you judge rightly. Um, so uh, when people try to use that one to say, you, you're not supposed to judge as a Christian, that's, that's not at all what the verse means. Yeah. Cool. Any other questions? All right, Linda, shoot it, sister. What do you think about um, apologetics as far as... Um, it's unmuted. There. Right. Uh, with reference to what 
Sergio? Um, Sergio was asking, what do you think about the role of apologetics um, in you know, the discussion and helping? Should I answer that one or do you want to answer that? I think it is one of the most important aspects of the church and probably the greatest element that has been neglected in American American church society. We have come to know the Christian faith as uh, fairy tales and Noah's Ark and David and the giant and, uh, you know, just fairy tale. And it has been portrayed in society as if you are a believer predominantly within the Christian faith, you're a fool. Nothing can be further from the truth. As I said earlier, science, all science does is prove the existence of God. It does in every way. And the more we can, so to apologize isn't to say, I'm sorry, it means to defend. And so as Christians, we are all called to defend the faith and we are to do it with truth and love. And so I think all of us should be apologists at the highest level. In fact, I believe God requires that. I do believe most Christians are too lazy and not ashamed of their own sin and societal sin. And so it drives us to... Um, yeah, they're not ashamed of sin. They're not ashamed of society's sin. And so it drives us inward instead of outward. We are called to defend the faith at all costs. Why we don't is because, frankly, we just don't care. That's the truth. Well, fear should not hinder you in any way. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So for us to say, well, fear is holding us back, that means we are being defeated by something that God has not given us. Um, I also, there you go. I also think um, when people think of apologetics, they think of every single argument that someone could possibly bring against them, and it feels overwhelming. Um, so I think first and foremost, when we think about apologetics and defending our faith, um, it starts simply with the basics. Why do I believe what I believe? And that doesn't mean you're going to have the answer to every question someone brings up to you, but it means you know why it is you have faith in Jesus Christ and not in some other way. Um, and so defending your faith starts with that. And really in that verse, that's what it's talking about. It's not, it's not saying that if someone talks to you about the cosmological argument that you have that thing perfectly memorized and you can present it to, to whoever asks. It's saying, why is it that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that he rose on the third day? Um, so apologetics is knowing the very basics of your faith. Um, now, apologetics obviously then goes into the greater fields of um, answering the questions that people bring against us. Uh, but I think the flaw that many people make um, is that they they attempt to come up with answers that the world likes. Um, and so they they try to start their logic with man's understanding. And so they try to reason from where the atheist is to make them become a Christian. Can you, can you touch on the two forms of apologetics just really briefly? Yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's considered classic apologetics where you're trying to bring someone from atheism or from some other faith and you're trying to get into their mindset and then reason them to Christianity. Um, and this was popularized by Thomas Aquinas. Um, so he is a, I can't remember what century he's in. Third century? Fourth. No, he's later than that. Really? Um, I forget. Someone look it up. <laughs> like Linda coming with the Google. But anyway, so he he's the one that kind of 
popularized the, the modern form of classic apologetics, which is um, his whole reasoning was, well, let me prove kind of like the mere Christianity idea that a God has to exist. And then you get from a God has to exist to then just implanting the God of the Bible on there. And everyone looks at it and goes, well, that doesn't make sense. How do you get from a God existing to the God of the Bible? Um, and so there's what's been known as the, the, the people want to make in classical logics, the smallest leap. So I want to make the smallest little gap where I can't prove to you that the God of the Bible is real, but there's a tiny little gap and you just have to step over that one little gap. Uh, the problem with that is if you can step over that gap this way, you can step over it that way as well. And it doesn't actually bring about faith. Um, so the other form of apologetics is presuppositional apologetics. And this is based out of Romans 1 where it says that everyone knows God exists, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so rather than assuming the atheistic worldview and trying to get them to believe in Christ, you're saying, no, you know God exists. That's why you hate him so much. And then you're telling them the truth of the scriptures. So you're, you're not, you're presupposing the existence of God because God tells us that we can presuppose that. And then you're arguing from scripture to present the gospel rather than trying to reason with them from their own understanding. Because once again, what's, what's that going to do? It's going to create Pharisees. It's going to create someone that says, look, within my own mind, I came to God all on my own. And that's simply not true because God is the one who draws us to himself. John six forty four. Anything else? All right, this is going to be our last one, just for the sake of time. But if you do have a trying question, well, I'll take it. What I listen. Sorry. All right. So, kind of to, to um, piggyback, piggyback off of you in the conversation we're having, you had sent us a video. Uh oh. Uh, couple. <laughs> Is like, it a good video couple, or a bad video? A couple months ago. Okay. And like, you know, prepping all of us to go out and fight the fight, sharpening our blades, you know. Could you talk about what that video said on the correct wording and how to not be apologetic and saying like, oh, I don't want to offend anyone or. I know, do the, have no recollection the, of what video. I'm the sorry. video of the mega church pastors and they're all talking about um, gay rights and all that. Um, and like. Well, I, I think I know what you're referring to. Yeah, I don't. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I can't remember. Basically so, saying like, sorry. I sent it to you yeah. too? Okay. Also, also he, was saying, he was saying that he doesn't like to have controversial discussions in his church because it creates like a divide. And all okay. That. But I guess they know. So, so, sorry. so there's, um, there's a lot of Christians nowadays that don't want to offend the culture. So the, the, this is the idea of bring people into church and eventually they'll believe in God. It's the seeker friendly. Um, yeah, it's the seeker sure friendly movement. And so it's, it's, it's the idea that you don't present the, the quote unquote bad side of Christianity to the world. You just present to them, look, God loves you. So obviously you want to become a Christian, right? And then they become a Christian and then you go, well, you see, um, God doesn't approve of homosexuality. So we'll talk about that later though. Just don't worry about it now. Just believe in God. That's for a small group. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Three Tuesdays that's from now, don't worry about it. <laughs> and so they avoid they avoid the topics because they don't want to offend the world. And so the idea is that you you trick people into Christianity as, in a sense. You're you're trying to ease them into it. Uh, but the Bible doesn't present that. The, the, the apostles never did that. Jesus never did that. They all went into town and they said the truth of what who Jesus is. And they told the people that you need to repent and believe in Him. And that is how we need to present the gospel. We don't. We're you know we're not we're not yelling at them. We're not telling them you're going straight to hell. But you're presenting them that they are in sin, that they are in need of a Savior, that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and if you do not repent and believe in him, then you will go to hell. 
So you're giving them the hope that is in Christ in the message. So Sergio, what happened to Paul the apostle? He was beaten. He was, yeah, he was, that's Peter. He was uh, stoned. He was lashed. Why? Why, why did, why did Paul go through all that persecution? Because he confronted a culture with the gospel. Why was Peter crucified upside down? Because he confronted a culture with the gospel. Why was uh, the apostle Thomas stabbed in the back and through the chest with a spear while he was preaching the gospel? Because in India, he was confronting a culture with sin. Why was James stoned and beaten with a club in Jerusalem to death? Because he was confronting a culture with sin. When you look at the biblical illustration and really the, the blueprint, American Christians want to be popular and liked when reality is the worldview that our culture holds and the worldview that we hold, they don't mix. It's night and day, darkness and light, and what fellowship have darkness with light? And so if you really are light, your life, your example, your message will cast out darkness, but that will always come with confrontation, always. The fact is people aren't going to like you. In fact, people are going to hate you. I remember the first time I got a bottle thrown at my head, spit at and cursed at I couldn't believe it. And I thought, why in the world? I'm just telling this guy that God loves him. And uh, a woman pulled me aside and said, they don't hate you. They hate your God. And that makes a lot of sense. So Christ said, we are sheep amongst wolves. So no, there's going to be conflict, particularly if you preach the gospel. There will absolutely be. And that's okay. Because your reward and your glory is in heaven. All right. Uh, thank you guys all for coming. Um, if you guys liked this, uh, come next week and invite other people who you think need to hear these messages. Um, and, or have questions. Like, you know, bring someone who doesn't have a strong Christian worldview even. Like, maybe they consider themselves a Christian, but... That's they, when debates, these open forums get really fun, yeah. by the way. They really um, do. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to answer these questions. We're here to get, dig through these topics in this way. Um, uh, government and vaccines. Yes. Yeah. And then followed by LGBTQ plus or whatever Q plus. There's it? a lot more letters yeah, in there yeah. now. And then uh, after that is wokeism and racism. So wokeism and ra- actually we're just going to look at postmodernism like the whole time because yeah. it's. That, that's our cu- current culture. Is so <laughs> that it is, yeah. All of them are going to involve aspects of that. Yeah. All right. Wanna, yeah. Father, we just love you and we thank you. I pray that you give God's people sweet sleep tonight and be with them on their way homes. Would you bless these beautiful, beloved people in Jesus' name? Amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, 
time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.